0: So, uh, the picture here, he John uses the word world or cosmos, uh, that he is even now already in the world. And the idea, of course, is that you don't have the Antichrist until you have the Christ. Uh, John is going to, in Revelation, describe uh, the work of the Antichrist uh, as... You know, unleashing a kind of evil maybe like there has never been this is Kierkegaard's point that uh, with Christianity you have the possibility for the unleashing of the demonic uh, in an odd sort of way in, in other words certainly the idea is that Satan is chained or limited but also that the truth in Christ perverted the Antichrist, which we're talking about, turns out to be uh, an even more uh, you know, uh, evil and, and terrible. Uh, I've probably said this before, but John uses the word uh, cosmos like 188 times, uh, more than anybody else. And the picture is that there are two worlds, right? <clears throat> there is the world, the cosmos of darkness. There's the cosmos of light, and the picture here is that uh, the darkness is penetrating the light. That you you're overcoming the world. Uh, that Christ is you know the greater. I'll come back to that passage, but the word overcome is also a favorite of John's. That he he'll talk about Christ overcoming. Um, again a reminder that what John is dealing with is the Gnostics who believe that man is in bondage to the elements of the world uh, to its cosmic ruler uh, and uh, that in some way man is unaware of this condition Uh, but for the Gnostics man's bondage is because of his fate while for the Christian, you know, they all they all believe in a kind of deception here. Uh, but for the Gnostic, the evil of the world <clears throat> is a permanent feature. It's it's sort of like the Star Wars evil. It's equal and opposite to the good, and so to escape the evil, you have to get rid of the 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 flesh. And so when uh, uh, the idea, the picture. For the Christian, therefore, is only the world at enmity with God, which is evil. For the Gnostic, there is an actually existing evil. Uh, and maybe that sounds funny, actually existing evil. You understand what I'm saying is that, is there an evil that is a equal and opposite force to the good? Gnostics would answer that, yes, hopefully as Christians you say no, right? Uh, that evil constitutes itself only as anti anti-Christ anti-God anti anti in other words it's a denial of something and constitutes itself not through any positive force we could say that for John this world this cosmos has three characteristics that it's in rebellion against God uh, that it's Uh, in rebellion and it fails to recognize that rebellion it does not, you know this is the picture in both 1 John and the gospel it does not know God's son or his spirit Uh, and part of the passage here is how do you discern uh, that those with the spirit discern who God is, who, who Christ is those without the spirit cannot discern, they cannot know that Christ has come. And you understand what I'm saying? Christ, it is the word Christos. It is the anointed one. And anointed with what?
1: The presence of God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the picture is that anointed with the Holy Spirit. So that John is going to combine these two things. Recognition of Christos and in, is in and through the Holy Spirit, if you think of the life of Christ, you know, that the key feet, you know, the, the Spirit descending on him like a dove is from that day then the, the period in which he's known as Christ. So when we say Christ, this is the divine aspect. And for the Gnostics, they'd say, well, of course Christ is divine but they would separate Christ's divinity from his humanity. So, the third would be the world in enmity belittles the world from above. So Christ is hated, and John is going to say, you're going to be hated. And, uh, you know, the picture is that Christians may in fact have sorrow while the world rejoices, uh, but the sorrow is not the ultimate state. So, in a sense, you could say the Gnostics hold to a God-free world. That is, that God is absolutely transcendent, and that in a Gnostic, it's sort of a, it's very Platonic. You know, it's just the if you think Aristotle, you have God, the unmoved mover, and then you have these concentric rings, and that the you know the uh, emanations from. It's not a, even emanations, but they would even say they they could acknowledge a plurality of religions, right? Uh, That, oh, that's just another one of the uh, mediators. And so they could fully acknowledge the divinity of Christ, but what they could not do is to bring Christ and Jesus together. And that's precisely the language that John is using. He's fusing Christ-Jesus. This, by the way, is a kind of footnote. It's why I'm always a little suspicious of any exercise or doctrine that in some way would split up or want to distinguish. Because I'm not sure that's our business, is to say, oh, here's the humanity and here's the divinity. The idea is that the humanity of Jesus fully accommodates the divinity of Christ. And what that that means is the Gnostics the Manichaeans, the Platonists, they're all just wrong about the nature of the world. Is the world able to accommodate the divine? They would all answer no, but as Christians we say, well, obviously Christ is incarnate, therefore the world, human imaging, is capable then of, you know, the, the, it, it's uh, uh, the proper home for divinity. Now, this, this is not a minor point. This is a major point. I think this is the point. What is the point of the world? Why did God create? What is Genesis 1 about? Well, it's that God would come to dwell with man. Where do we meet God? We meet him in the temple. What, is, what constitutes the temple? Well, ultimately, the cosmos is the temple. Right? We're the temple of God, but who we are is not separate from the garden from creation so that the thing that is being redeemed in revelation and romans and is the world right everything that it's not souls being snatched into a platonic heaven but it's the world being redeemed and redeemed then from the darkness of you know the the uh, the sort of misteaching that you have with the gnostics gnosticism is we, we know more about it, and it's not even we're not even sure if it's proper to call what John is dealing with Gnosticism. But understand that by the time you get to Irenaeus, uh, you know, in the second century, that you have a full blown Gnosticism, and he writes a, he gives us great detail on, and, and Irenaeus is the student of Polycarp, and po, you know Polycarp, Polycarp's the student of John. And so it could very well be that they're dealing with the same heretical views. And so in uh, Ire- Irenaeus' description, he, would, he said that they distinguish the Creator from the Father of Christ, uh, who is the Creator's Son. Uh, they distinguish Jesus from the impassable Son. Im- Does everybody know the word impassable? That he... You know, uh, does not experience change or emotion or so divine impassibility. I think I talked about this. Did I do this? I I lose track of who I talked what about. We talked about the Council of Nicaea. Who who is that with the perfectly fine council in which they acknowledge Jesus? You know, the the uh, likeness to the Father that they share in essence. Nothing wrong with what was said, but the problem with what is said uh, is that it didn't talk about the person and work and the life of Christ and Christ defeating, overcoming evil. And I'm afraid that what's happening is already there is an accommodation to a Christianity that is going to be kind of neutral in terms of You know, maybe not a full-blown Gnosticism, but they're going to start dividing up heaven and earth. And so, I think by the time you get to a- a- Anselm of Canterbury, uh, the the atonement—why did Jesus die? Well, he died for heavenly purposes. For the okay, so I think that uh, we need John <laughs> because we will always have Gnostic tendencies. So Irenaeus encountered a Gnosticism which they would classify the, uh, humanity, uh, and it's interesting here, as the pneumatic, pneumatic everybody knows the spirit, spiritual humanity, uh, the psychical, and the material. And they would divide some people up in that way. Again, I have a. Uh, I think there, that we need to be very careful when we talk about. Oh, is man a tripartite or a dualism? Or, well, I don't. You know, if you mean by that you can divide him up. Unfortunately, you're falling right back into a Gnostic heresy because that's what they said. Yeah, you can split him all up, and the idea is that no, that. Uh, who man is, is not dividable, it's not divisible, any more than Christ is divisible. This is not the answer to your question, but it's the beginning of your answer about, uh, 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 you know, the intermediate state of the dead. So for the Gnostics, the distance between the Father, the Father is always, you know, absolutely separate, transcendent. Remember, in talking about idolatry, this is my claim about idolatry. This is actually the problem: is that God is made absolutely absent, separate, transcendent. Even though we often think of idolatry in a in a different way, and so between the distance between the Father and humanity was bridged by these eons, you know, that uh, these emanations uh, that left the Father as distinguished from the creator, you have you can't have the father being the creator because it brings him too close. So you have demiurges, you know, secondary gods that are going to create the world. So the Gnostics contended that as a spiritual or pneumatic class of people, they had a superior knowledge of God which they had received from Jesus and the creature who uh, produced Uh, Produce the whole pleroma of the aeons, or the, you know, they're they're making Jesus part of their gnostic pantheon, basically. Um. So Irenaeus, in response, stresses the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as the only one whom, through the saving knowledge of the Father, can be achieved. I said all that to say this first verse. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How do you test a spirit? You want to do you want to do a test right now.
1: You get the Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Who's
0: speaking to me now? Uh, um, the black room in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could go down there if you Let's want to go <laughs> and you test the spirit because false prophets false you know wh- who what they may mean by this whatever it means they're, they're teaching is they're teaching false doctrine and so John gives us the test he's given us ser- several tests you know the Spirit of God every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ. Has come in the flesh is from God. Uh, you do not distinguish between the man and the divinity, and the uh, the incarnation and is is God come in the flesh. I don't you know if you do a little church history, it's just amazing how this same this same thing just comes up again and again. Uh, the way that Luther and I kind of like Luther's phrase. Uh, is that God died on the cross. I think that's what he's combating is the uh, tendency that he was running into of people splitting up God and saying, well, you know, Jack Cottrell does this most beautifully. He says, well, actually the spirit of, you know, God can't die and it was the body of Jesus that died. Oh, we're right back into dualism and Gnosticism. Other than that, it's a wonderful doctrine. But John says it's of the Antichrist. <laughs> and that by this test, it would be a false kind of prophet. But I'm not going to say that. Um... Oh,
1: my
0: goodness. Too late. The doesn't mean that. Okay, I will say it. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs>
1: But 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 then people go also to say that humans. I mean, it's just what we've done in pop culture. Like you see, somebody dies and then they wilt, and then their spirit lives off of them. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, the every pop, you know, every movie or whatever you see is that the spirit in some way, and everybody has an innate, innately immoral spirit. And so the the picture is that reality is someplace else. And once you say that, then the stuff that we're doing doesn't really matter. And I think, well, if it really doesn't matter, that's sort of you just sort of check out. You know, you look and there's nobody home because you're you're off somewhere else. Um, that I think what Christianity is supposed to do is say, no, this this thing really counts. This really matters. That the choices you make the. The beliefs that you have, the way you treat people, uh, is the 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 uh, basis of your of judgment. The word Christ here, I mentioned it, is is connected to the Spirit. So, upon be, being anointed with the Spirit, uh, Jesus is called Christ, and those who see him, you know, recognize the Christ. And those who confess that he is the Christ do so by the Spirit. So I think that's the work, we've just seen the work of the Holy Spirit, right? In the life of Christ, but then also in the life of the Christian. Uh, that the Spirit, the, the, the idea of the Anointed One, not oil, But the oil was representative of the Spirit, right? It indicates dignity, uh, the dignity of someone close to God, and of course, ultimately, that is going to be God. Uh, It was applied to kings or priests and to the tabernacle of God. Uh, So the Spirit descended on him like a dove from heaven and abode on him, causing him in John 1, they they then begin to call him God's son, uh, and it is connected then to Jesus' recognition. This this leads. Uh, I, I didn't want to leave this out because it's the anointing then that's also connected to the ego a me sayings in John. Somebody say what ego a me is. Oh, God. I am. And who says I am? God does. That's the name of God. That's the four letters, that the tetragrammaton, that we do not pronounce, that some people do pronounce. Uh, if you were to try to pronounce, the Jews never did. They would just say Adam, I, but maybe Yahweh, or, but we really don't know how to pronounce it. And so in John... I think the, the epistle and then the gospel, there are nine sayings in which Jesus says, I am, you know. Uh, there are some 15 sayings in which he uses a predicate. Uh, he used like, I am not of this world, or be not afraid. It is I am, you know, when they're out on the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes you can't tell. Other times it's obvious, Uh the, uh, but the I am saying reveal that Jesus is the Christ and what it means to be the Christ is divine I am the bread of life I am the light of the world I am the door of the sheep I am the good shepherd I am the resurrection and the life so he's making he's not just saying a philosophical notion you know but every time he claims divinity He's giving us a picture of divinity that has been given to us, right? I am food, bread of life. I am vision, light of the world. I am an opening, a passageway, the door of the sheep. I am the leader that you can follow. You can emulate me, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. Uh, and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. We just did last week, you know, the the uh, abiding passage. The abiding passage just seems to point right to John 15, where he talks about abiding in the, the branches in the vine. So in each case, the I am illustrates the Christological function of who, who Jesus is so he gives us the meaning when we say Jesus Christ we now know what that means because of these pictures of divinity so he sustains, he illuminates he cares for, he gives life, he guides, he makes us productive um So, a statement like, I am the light of the world, makes no sense except on the lips of one who was the agent in the creation of the world. In other words, he is the origin of light. Um, So, it's not just an abstract. When we talk about Jesus Christ, it's not an abstraction in a Gnostic sense, but it's even the divinity is an incarnate understanding of divinity. Uh, where do we first hear I am? So oh, Jordan, of course, knows. <laughs> uh, to Moses, right? I am that I am. Uh, and sometimes um, I think we get the, the Jews who were later influenced by Platonic thought tended to give that a kind of philosophical translation. But, of course, the significance to Moses is, I am the one who goes before you. Uh, I am the one, you know, that's going to deliver. Um, So, uh, this is significant in this passage, because John is going to say, how do you know the truth? Well, if anybody listens to what we're saying, it sounds sort of arrogant, doesn't it? If you people agree with me, then you're in the truth. I mean, if I said it, you could laugh. Obviously. (laughs) But when John says it, he's saying it as an apostle. And he's saying it then uh, the, the way that Christ said it. In other words, if you disagree with John, you disagree with Jesus, you disagree with, uh, you know, really the, the uh, authority of Christ. So the word the word of the Lord came to me, or the Lord said, is the usual phrase that you get in the Old Testament, but Jesus says uh, that I say, and. In a similar manner, John declares the teaching of the apostles to be of the same kind of authority. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Have you ever had somebody say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I don't agree. Well, you're dealing with an Antichrist, according to John. I mean, you're dealing with somebody who will not, Uh, you know, bow to the authority of the apostles Um, they do not have they do not have the spirit of truth they are guided by the spirit of falsehood I'm just quoting John 4, 6 so I think we need to be able to name and say that to people now you say it when you go out and preach I just say it to you you can be the messengers to go out and get, (laughs) get killed or fired (laughs) thank you so sin uh, and, and John says don't be surprised if people hate you yeah you start talking this way people won't like you sin has come into the world and that sin then constitutes a world a world of darkness unto itself and the picture is that Christ has come to defeat this darkness He says, the world cannot hate you. This is in the gospel. And notice there's going to be a slight difference in the epistle. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. What's the difference in the epistle? Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. In other words, they are now in the place that Christ was in. Those that hated Christ are now going to hate his disciples. And John means the disciples, that you now stand where Christ stood. The other phrase I, I said that the John will consistently use is overcome. So I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Maybe this I enjoy getting old, because uh, that there is a sense that uh, your struggles with evil may be more intense. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, he says in this passage. Overcome who? Overcome these false teachers. Apparently the false teachers have left, or they've defeated them. They've not listened to them. And the reason, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, I don't know, you know, is John talking about a personification or a real person We don't know, but the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of false prophecy, stands opposed then to the spirit of the the truth. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, he says in the gospel. And this is the victory that has overcome the world what? Do you know the rest of the phrase? How do you overcome the world? Sharon knows because she's looking at the slide. So,
1: well,
0: That's Revelation, okay. which is also Revelation thematically talks about overcoming. The passage I just quoted is from uh, actually uh, this next chapter in 1 John, in which, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood. This is 1 John. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. How do you know that? It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And then it says, These are the three that testify. We'll come to John 5 later. In the gospel he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's our security. That's the battle that we're engaged in. You don't need to get yourself a bulldog and a machine gun and a machete. Because Christ has already overcome the world. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, this is revelation, Michael. And Paul will use the same language, you know. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable. Um, So... Let me do one more thing. We could, we could do a whole study of the Holy Spirit, but we, won't, we don't need to do that right now. Uh, the other thing is that he'll talk about the deception uh, here. And I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, Paul using the same language, by his craftiness, that the deceiver has gone out into the world. What is the deceiver? Well, the deceiver is the serpent. The you know is this. N.T. Wright uses the language the Satan. I don't know. Okay, and what he means by that is that this may not be you know a a personal devil. It may just be uh, a force. Or but whatever this force is, it is a force for deception. And so too with the Antichrist. The nature of it is that it's a force for deception. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, be not partakers with him, for you were formerly of darkness, but now you are of light in the world, uh, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. This is Paul in Ephesians, but it sounds a lot like John in First John. If I didn't tell you that was Paul, the the, the sound of it is, is very similar to John. All right, that's any comments or questions before we... Read it. Evan, you want to read the first one? Sure. Uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit,
1: but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world.
0: What if the false prophet does a miracle?
1: Well, Jesus did miracles, and he was blamed for being a false prophet. So I don't know.
0: Can a can a false prophet do miracles? Yeah. Potentially. Can a false prophet heal? Can a false prophet? So what is you know? It's not that these signs. Of miraculous signs are necessary, and it may be that, you know, I, I mean, that tends to be what happens, that the, the with the false prophet, you get false works, you know. And so we never know, it's hard to discern. It's sort of like Moses going to, you know, the Pharaoh. Well, even the Pharaoh had magicians who could perform. Um, so the false prophets, though, are hard to dece- to, to understand to perceive because they're Christians. Maybe do I need to put that in quotes?
1: Well, you make me think of this, passage mm-hmm. What Christ says, um, in those days, um, someone come to me and said, Lord, did I, did, did I not do miracles in your, in your name or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes to say that, yeah, these guys can actually be
0: Christians. And I assume they're leaders. They're good Christian leaders who who display charismatic gifts. Am I going too far, Jordan?
1: Um, huh? Faith, we need
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> um, and so, don't be partakers with them. Is the idea. All right. uh, Sharon, you want to read the next one? What number? Well, the one that's underlined, actually.
1: Oh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God.
0: I mean, that sounds like a fairly concise, simple statement. But what stands behind it, of course, is the entire life of Christ. Right? Right? We know who, you know, when you say that, uh, the, that uh, you confess Christ, well, that means you, it is an acknowledgement of who Christ was in the Incarnation. Um, and so the, uh, I've said this several times, I think it bears saying again, what's the nature of sin? Sin is a dualism. What's the nature of false knowledge? It is going to be a kind of dualism in which you split things up. So I think John can give us a formula like this because the nature of false teaching will always split Jesus from Christ. And that's why I think in terms of, if I had to choose between Eastern Orthodoxy and the Roman, you know, the Western, Latin, the Church, I would go with on, when it talks about the nature of Christ, I think the Eastern Orthodox went the right, the correct route. They just, uh, they said this is, uh, you know, that was really the beginning of the split. So there are some things that, even in their apparent correctness, may seem benign, may seem harmless but I think have done the church great harm. And that is that in, you know, coming up with these formulas that attempt to delineate Jesus and Christ that you're already treading on dangerous ground that's very Gnostic-like. Jordan, you want to do the next one? Do you want
1: me to just read that bold one? Oh, I'll read the whole thing. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world.
0: So, um, I suppose that, you know, you could say that the demons in the gospel recognize Jesus. Uh, They, uh, but there is the sense that uh the this spirit that has gone out into the world is a, a deluding deceiving spirit in regard to Christ why is this so important that you know that Christ came in the flesh because a christianity that tends to do, you know to neutralize that is going to be a christianity exactly as we have it that focuses upon an otherworldly Christianity that splits ethics from, you know, salvation. So, it it's just what we get again and again. So, uh, the acknowledgement that uh, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh should, you know, I, I, it's not, oh, just say that formula, but the idea is that That gives us a full-bodied incarnate Christianity. How are you saved? You saved in your head? (laughs) Accepting Jesus in your heart? No, you're saved ultimately through resurrection, right? But also through an embodied walking as Christ walked.
1: Couldn't you also say the difference is that's the difference between a man-made religion trying to get to God and reality?
0: Spell it out for us.
1: Well, I just mean, if it's, if it's otherworldly, then that is on the same order as all the other world religions.
0: I think that's what they're always doing. They're always going to transport us somewhere else. They're always going to, in some way, create a religious sensibility that gives you an absence. All the important stuff's happening elsewhere. It's up in a way, it's transcendent. It's removed from us. And so a Christianity that does that is just falling into the the religions of the world. (laughs) Yeah, that was Yuri Gagarin that went to the, you know, went up into outer space. He said, it, "God's not here."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you want to read the next one, Jake? Yeah.
1: Where are we at? Is it This is the spirit? third building. Third building, okay. Mm-hmm. You are from God little children and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you. Than he who is in the
0: world what do you think this means that you have overcome them
1: you asking me?
0: yeah I don't I'm, I'm not that's yeah everybody studied first John right
1: <laughs> just like he said before yeah that I came to That the works of the devil what's that one verse in Hebrew?
0: so Christ is overcome and you've overcome but I, I think this may, some people think this may be literally that they've had a confrontation with these false prophets
1: hmm. that was a trick question
0: well I actually <laughs> said it earlier
1: well again trick question
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's what it means but it could mean in you know that through Christ they've already been defeated, uh, which is the next phrase. You know because greater is He who is in you than He is in the world. There's a cosmic battle in John. You know that he displays. He puts this. This is why I think you know when you read Revelation, what's Revelation about? Is that some future event? No, I think it's he's already describing this cosmic conflict, and Revelation is just a continuation of that present tense conflict. You know, we're not waiting around for the battle to begin. Oh, it's already begun, and we're engaged in this conflict. Uh, we're warriors. You know, Paul even uses the, you know, the picture of wearing the armor, but that doesn't mean. I always. Uh, a former Greek professor who will go unnamed, you know, always uh, talked about, uh, that, oh, well, there's this military imagery, therefore, it must be advocating military. No, (laughs) that's not the point. The point is we've joined a, a battle but not a battle of flesh and blood, but a battle in which the sword is not a, a you know a, a piece of steel, but it's a book, it's a word, it's a living word, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, did we get to Jamie?
1: That would be now. Yeah. Okay. Um. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them.
0: It makes perfect sense. Right? There is a logic. We're doing this in apologetics. If you convince people of who Christ is on the basis of an understanding that they already have, the problem is that you've given them the wrong Christ and the wrong God. What you have to do is change up their logic, not use their logic to convince them of the existence of God. Did that make sense, Evan? Mm-hmm. I think that's what the the idea here is. These prophets are very good apologists. Only these are false prophets, and they're apolo- they're apologists for a false religion. And the danger is that an apologetic that begins on the basis of the reason of the world will give us a God of the philosophers uh, rather than the God of the Bible.
1: One time in one of your classes you uh, talked about, you kind of criticized the idea of contextualization for that reason, but, uh, I mean, there is obviously a way you can Meet someone where they're at, like how Paul talks about, like the unknown God. Uh-huh. But it's different than what you're saying, than just helping someone understand a God on their
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that, and I yeah, I don't mean to that even the word contextualization. You know, that's a real buzzword in mission. And, and sometimes i'm I'm afraid that it is the idea that we're going to go and teach these people the gospel, and we're going to have to contextualize the gospel completely to the situation of wh- which they're in. But I think that's that's moving a little too quick. I think the first step is you read every cultural situation through the lens of the gospel. I don't I don't I'm just not being semantic here, but I think that literally if we apprehend all things through Christ, that here is the essence. Cultures do not constitute an essential reality unto themselves. Right? Culture is a construct it's a it's always a hybrid. it's always a mixture of things. it's never but what people will tell you in their culture is just the opposite. Oh, that our culture has an essence. this is Japan, you know We Japanese, you know we have a a, a, a spiritual essence that you foreigners will never understand. Uh, that is they make the culture, An absolute. And the danger is that in contextualizing before, if that's your first step, I'm afraid this is the fault of some, of, of very often the Catholic religion. In other words, they're willing to accommodate ancestor worship and local gods. And so you just get a kind of syncretism. You know, a, a mixture of things. You can make
1: converts without them ever changing anything about
0: their life. Yes, yes. Did, have you seen... Oh, I know you saw Silence. Uh, if you want a couple hours of thorough depression, there's a film for you. Uh, it's, a, it's wonderful. I mean, that's the wrong word, but... It's a, it's a well-made movie uh, about the very thing I'm saying, in other words, what the the writer of that novel, Shusako Endo, was saying, is what I'm saying is wrong. He was saying that Japan is a mud swamp, and in the mud swamp of of Japan, Christianity, the tree, the root of Christianity, will never take root. What is he doing? And and by the way, Shusako Endo was a, a Christian. So he's saying this, I think he's wrong that Christianity did take root and it took root precisely in the Tokugawa period that he's describing that's why you have tens of thousands of martyrs in Japan there's nothing There's nothing about the cultural essence of Japan or of any culture now is there a kind of resistant culture in Japan today? oh absolutely it's the most resistant culture in the world and I, I would almost say that without uh, any qualification. More Christians in Saudi Arabia than there are in Japan. Now, that's a little bit of a, that's not, that's a little inaccurate because there are per, per capita, but actually the Christians in Saudi Arabia are probably not Saudis. You know, but, so I haven't said what you're saying yet, though. So once you contextualize, once you, once you make the move that you understand that culture does not have an essence, then, and you can read and, and understand the failure of a particular culture, and every culture is a failed culture in the sense that no culture has the capacity to give you a full and complete identity. But that's what the culture will always promise. Put your hand over your heartless stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance because we're Americans and that's identity enough for you.
1: Then turn to the other side of the room and say the Pledge to the Texas flag. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then you have a true essence. Yeah, a Texas American. What could be better than that? Uh, full-blown identity.
1: But I think it's so important for... It us to understand that the most in our culture because everybody else sees Christianity as a Western religion. Mm -hmm. So if we don't understand the difference between the Christian culture and the Western culture, then it's automatically... You know, we're automatically we go in confident, like, well, your culture is obviously wrong, and we need to change to Christ culture. But really, without knowing, we're we're conforming them to a, a Western, you know, right civilization right. type
0: thing. so, what if if you take what I'm saying in the right spirit, that when we go as a to to another culture there is the possibility for the expansion of the culture of the church. In other words, every culture will find its fulfillment in Christ. So it's not a matter of, oh, culture's bad, we need to get rid of it. But neither is it the idea that, that the culture is an absolute reality unto itself. And so you save people, you're never going to save them apart from their culture. They're always going to come to the church through their culture. And that's the sense that you contextualize, uh, that you may need to say things in a way. But you don't want, I'm afraid that in our missiology, some missiologists get confused about where reality lies. Uh, and precisely because they've pictured Western culture, you know, this is the, the arrogance of people that talk about, oh yeah, there's only modernity. That's the you can't be a Christian and not be a modern. Well what what arrogance, you know, there is there that oh this one particular period is definitive of uh of the truth.
1: And it happens to be the period
0: that was that came about hundreds of almost a thousand years after Christianity was born. Yeah, those poor ignorant <laughs> fools that wrote the New Testament. I'm, oh, I'm afraid to be struck by lightning. Just saying that, you know. That's what they're saying, right? Oh, they weren't modernists, so they don't have the truth like we do.
1: It's right here. My little box. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did we finish? We got another one? Uh Rachel, you want to do the last one here.
1: Uh, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error.
0: I, you know, what arrogance! And John wasn't even a modern. How could he say such a thing? Well, because he's an apostle and this is Kierkegaard's point, an apostle's a lot better than a genius. A genius may be a generation ahead, but apostle speaks for God. So, uh, you listen to the authority of the apostles of the New Testament. Uh, and if you don't, I mean, this, is the, this was, they were challenging, right? They were literally challenging the authority of John while he was still alive. And John is doing what Paul did. He says, I'm an apostle. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just saying I speak, you know, as an apostle. And so this is the way you know the spirit of truth. Anybody who denies the authority and truth of the teaching of the apostles is denying Christ. And so there's a spirit of error, and the word error here is really—it's de- not. Whoops! I made a mistake. Whoops! Two plus two is five. It's error like uh, an, you know a deception from hell. Whoops! You know. So there is a there is a, an, a, an ignorance and error that you're culpable for. You're morally culpable uh, for this. Whoops! All right. Any any comments? Questions? Did I did I address what you were saying, Maisie? Okay. Uh, Miguel could speak to us at length on this because he took world religions. Uh, I think I think those of you from uh, who are bicultural. This is the beauty of of leaving Missouri, you know. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) If you just get out of this, uh, you know, move a little bit, go somewhere else, and and you realize that um, that there is not a singular way of thinking. There is not a singular worldview. There are many worlds out there but all of those worlds are addressed by Christ and that's the interesting thing here not a Christ that's made to fit our world and that's the point of going that in going we at the same time apprehend in a deeper, broader, higher fashion who Christ is because we understand oh he's speaking to this, these people in a way that it would have never occurred to do painful period in Japan to learn that lesson, but that's the value of, of going to